Welcome to the Huxley Morton Podcast, insights into the world of clinical trials. For this week's episode, I'm joined by Felice Anderson. Felice is the owner of Eclipse Clinical Research, a dynamic family business based out of Tuscan, Arizona, who are really bringing a personal touch to the world of clinical trials. Felice, you and I have spoken off air previously, uh, but how has everything been going since you and I last spoke? I'm good, thanks. How are, how are you? Very well, thank you. Night's closing in here over in London. Um, but look, you and I have spoken before, um, but to give us an overview of, of your company, I, I certainly found it very interesting when, when you and I have spoken off air, but tell us about some of the, the great things that you're doing at Eclipse and give us a bit of a backstory to, to how the business actually came about. So we conduct phase two to four clinical trials and we have been in business since February of 2008. Uh, and this came about because I was working in clinical research and I actually started working in the lab, worked yeah. my way up into a research coordinator position and helped a local doctor start a clinical research company of her own and found that I was doing all the work and she was working an hour or two a week and I was frustrated. Mm -hmm. And my husband said to me one day, well, maybe you should start your own company. So um, six months later, we did. We op I opened the doors and haven't looked back since. Wow. So look, I guess just for those, those listening, when, when was that? Cause it was, it was some years back now, wasn't it? That you actually decided to, to go it alone. There's a lot of people that almost wait for years, but you've now been going for years. So when, when was it that you guys first kicked off the business? So we, I would say summer 2007 started having the conversations. Mm. We did all the legal incorporation paperwork um fall 2007 and then open the doors in february of 2008 sure and is there i guess i know for for myself setting up the huxley morton business uh here in the uk there's a lot of things that sometimes you just overlook um when starting a business you know one of the things for me was actually setting up a business bank account i didn't know how much kind of went into that at, at the, the front end what you know what challenges did you face when you set things up for yourself so for us i think the hardest thing was doing the actual incorporation um we're an llc which is basically a limited liability company uh -huh. and so filing all the paperwork with the state was difficult um we had to get a lawyer to do all of that and then we had to publish the incorporation in a newspaper um which was costly we had to, as you said, do all the business bank accounts, but none of that could be done until we had the corporation. We had to get a federal tax identification number. So wow. all of that were th was things that I had never done before. And so, you know, treading in unknown waters. Mm. And I think that's, that's the thing that a lot of people overlook, isn't it? That, you know, there's so much that actually goes into starting a business to start with. Um, and it's just taking that first step. I know for myself and my partner, when we started Huxley Morton we knew that we wanted to uh to go into recruitment we knew what we were going to be doing and we were very confident at, at doing the job but actually running the business it was scary it was we you know we sat there and thought how do we go about this and we deliberated on it for maybe six months to a, a year before actually pressing the the, the go button and, and getting started uh, whereas for you it it sounds like you ran with things or, or, you know, from that suggestion from your partner. Um, so just rewind a second. Tell me, tell, how, 
what was going through your mind when you said, okay, you know what, that's it. I'm, I'm going to, to go for it. What, you know, what, I, I guess, yeah, what made you decide that you're going to take that leap that, leap that so many others struggle to make? Um, you know, I think the biggest thing through my mind was pure terror. Right. So at first, when, when he first suggested it, I thought that he was crazy. Uh-huh. And then, you know, thinking about it for a few days, it just made sense. So one of the other difficult things was that a lot of research companies are owned by physicians. So we had to find a physician that would work with us because you can't conduct clinical trials without a doctor. Mm-hmm. So um, I've never been one to back away from a challenge. And if somebody tells me I can't do something, I usually set to tell them or to prove them wrong. Yeah. So I think to me, it was a challenge while it was terrifying. Um, it was fun. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, that kind of, there's a lot of people like that where somebody saying no kind of lights the, the, the paper really, doesn't it? To, for things to then go on and, and explode from, from, from there. And you just, from, from that initial suggestion from your uh, partner was just like, I, I'm in. Right. It does. It, um, I had a person when I worked in my first research company and had started out in the lab that told me I would never make it as a research coordinator because I didn't have the specific type of degree that that company required. And I met her about five years ago at an investigator meeting and she asked me how I was doing and told her I had my own company and she was just blown away. Wow. So I think that feeling to prove somebody wrong like that um that motivates me and it pushes me massively i i kind of like that thing as well it's it's getting the work done behind the scenes often and then bumping into people and, and telling your story kind of a, as you are now so that people are wow how on earth has this person gone from what i knew them as to a completely new person but that just goes to show doesn't it if you set your mind to it you can kind of do every, anything within reason yeah um but look, I know that you and I, when we spoke last, um, it wasn't it, and, and hasn't all been plain sailing. So before we even come on to 2020 and, and COVID, um, I understand that there was some, some early challenges um, that, again, you managed to, to overcome with, I guess, finances in investors. There's, um, there was a, you know, quite an interesting story there that you told me about uh, that you overcame. So share, share that one with us. So when we first started, we had an initial investor that was in a different state, had their own research clinic and wanted to jump in and help us, but they felt that we weren't getting started quick enough for what they wanted Mm -hmm. and they pulled out um, before we saw our first patient. So we had a few studies that we were contracted for, but they were still in the startup phase and we weren't ready to start screening. Mm. And they pulled out, like I said, before we saw that first patient. And I would say about a week or two after they pulled out, um, things just turned around and we started screening quickly. And it was almost like they were meant to not be part of it. Mm. Um, My mother-in-law actually did a home equity loan on her house to help fund when the investors pulled out, which helped us get through those first few months. And it's been kind of up and down the clinical trial industry isn't always stable. So Uh we've had good years and bad, but it's always been worth it. And we've always pulled through. Mm. But again, that must've been an amazing feat from having your investor pull out to then all of a sudden 
things just started to go right for you. And it just goes to show, you know, I, I've had instances uh, with our business where at times I've felt like it's all falling apart, but actually it's just been falling into place. And I think yes. that, that is, I think, you know, is that something that you would share with, you know, aspiring business owners, anyone else who wants to start a research organization is just believe in yourself and, and kind of, yeah, just follow what you've set out to do and, and be persistent with it. Definitely. Absolutely. I mean, there's been times where everything's wonderful and you think that this is the best decision I've ever made. And then you come across a hard time and the thought is, what have I done? Mm. So, and I think that's like that with any business, you know, there's, it's not just me that relies on this business being successful. It's my staff and all of their families. Yeah. So that keeps me going and pushes me, you know, in those difficult times to find a way through. Sure. Well, it's clear that you're very driven on this. You've got some great values. But before we move on to, I guess, what you now do on a day to day basis and, and you know, the best parts about the job and, and what you'd perhaps advise for people getting into the, the industry, just to, to rewind. But so before all of this came about, you know, back at college, university, etc., was this a route that you always wanted to go down or? you know were there other other paths for you I know for, for myself um I'm a huge sports fan and kind of ended up doing sales and recruitment jobs is something that I just hadn't planned for but there's aspects of it that I, I love you know the competitive nature of, of what we do in, in recruitment helping people out and, and the training with CVs and advice you know so there's certain crossovers but I certainly didn't think that I would be running a recruitment business I pictured myself you know maybe in the, in the fitness industry, which is massively, you know, oversubscribed with, with people on, on Instagram and things these days. In fact, my, my brother um, is now doing that. But what was, you know, was this something that you'd always planned out? Or was there um, anything else in the pipeline? So for me, I didn't even know what clinical research was until I fell into a job working in the lab in a research site. Mm. Um, I always wanted to be in the medical field. But I didn't know what. I thought maybe a doctor, maybe a nurse. Um, I had gone to school and become a medical assistant and was going to nursing school in the evenings mm. and had decided that I didn't like dealing with insurance companies in the United States. So healthcare here is very different, obviously, than it is there. Uh -huh. But here, the insurance companies tell the doctors how to practice medicine. The doctors will tell the insurance company, you know, I want to do a test or I want to prescribe this medication. And the insurance mm. company will say, no, it's too expensive. Or we want you to do something else. We're not going to pay for this. So I, I got tired of fighting with them on a regular basis and decided I needed to do something else. Yeah. And I applied for a job in the lab at a research company, basically drawing blood and processing samples and worked my way up. So I literally fell into it. Um, before I took that job, I had no idea what it was. I just knew I wanted to be in healthcare. Mm. But it is one of those those industries that has, I, I, I speak to so many people and it has kind of gone under the radar for so many other people. And it's not until you get involved in it that you realize how massive the industry is, how fast paced it can be at, at times and how, I guess, different every single day can be um because i think that you along with so many other people that I, i've spoken to i, I often ask talk, talk me through your typical day um and the response is 
is, is always the same. So, but like, if, if you can give me an overview of, you know, typical day, week, month, give me your experience on, on that side of things. So I, I wouldn't say any day is typical because it's always changing. Like you said, it's always different. When I first started the business, I worked hands-on with the patients and I was a research coordinator. Um, and I did kind of half and half. So my mornings would be seeing patients, doing patient care. My afternoons would be the business aspect of things. Mm -hmm. As we've grown, somewhere I stopped seeing patients and I can't tell you when that was. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. It just seemed to evolve and happen. So now I do almost 100% administrative um, unless somebody's on vacation and I'm covering. Sure. So my typical day, I'll come in um, before I even get to work. I'm checking emails, taking phone calls from sponsors. We are on the West Coast. So we're two to three hours behind the rest of or the East Coast where most of the companies are. Mm. So a lot of times their day starts before mine. So I'm already playing catch up. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, day to days, I'll do study contracts. Um, I take care of regulatory I write source documents, um, dealing with any problems that may arise, questions from the coordinators, putting out fires when the coordinators and other people in the office disagree, um, paying bills, doing payroll. So all of the administrative keep the business side running. Which I think, again, is something that people just, unless you're a business owner, you don't necessarily look into that sort of thing. I know that I kind of did and and, and I, I sometimes I miss just doing the job as it right. may be you know I, I like helping people to find jobs I like you know that rewarding sense when they've got a new job for myself and they're you know calling me to say you know hey James thanks very much for putting me in contact with this company it's great it's all working really well um whereas these days I spend a heck of a lot of a lot of time dealing with IT issues or you know speaking to the accountants there, there's so much else that goes goes on behind the scenes but it's interesting there that you mentioned that with you guys being on the west coast that a lot of the industry um and sort of big players are over you know on, on the, the east coast so you're playing catch up um much like us with, with our business when we first started we were purely working in, in the engineering and construction sectors and a lot of our business would happen over in Southeast Asia. So it was always early morning starts um, for me and just so that I could catch people in the afternoon. Um, so was that something that kind of you you mirrored that with, you said that you used to get a lot of your work done in, in the morning. It was, was it early starts or was it still your, your standard nine to five or, or structured hours? So for me, it changes day to day. I'm not a morning person. And as much as I try, before about nine o'clock, I'm just not very productive. Uh -huh. So I tend to work later in the day. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I spend my mornings dealing with things that, you know, with people that are now afternoon on the East Coast. Yeah. And then I tend to work later in the evenings and doing work that, you know, it's quiet. Everybody else has gone home. I'm not being interrupted with, I need this, or can you help me with that? Or this mm. patient has a problem and I can actually sit down quietly and get paperwork and things like that done. So yeah. it works well for me. 
Um, other than that feeling when you first walk in that 10 people want you from the East Coast and you have to you know, deal with them all at one time. Mm. It makes it a little more challenging because we don't change our time in Arizona. Yeah. So in the summer, we're three hours behind. In the winter, we're two. And a lot of people don't remember that. And so when they try to schedule meetings or things like that, it can be a little confusing. Uh-huh. So I've gotten now where I say, we're three hours behind you or we're two hours behind so that they know from the start to accommodate that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's yeah, interesting. Something, something else that you just have to juggle, I guess, um, being located where, where you are. So right. look, um, I guess part of the, the, the fact there, um, you mentioned your, your typical day and all of the administrative side of things. You know, what would you say, I, I know for me, one of the things that you mentioned there is 10 people wanting time and attention when you, you've got employees. Uh, often I find that, you know, this is, is one of the hardest parts of, of my job. What, you know, what would you class as say that the best part of your job and the hardest? Cause often it's, it's a double-edged sword um, being at the head of the company. So to me, the best, there's a few things that I think are the best part is we're a small business. So including myself and my mother-in-law who runs the front desk area, uh, we are eight full-time staff and then our doctors who rotate in and out. We're, we feel we have a comp or a family feel. So I like that. I like that mm. everybody gets along. There's not a lot of drama as far as staffing goes. You know, every once in a while there's a problem. But for the most part, I love the small family business feel. Um, and I like that I feel like we're helping people. So we're getting these people access to treatments that they may not otherwise have um, or otherwise afford. And so it's nice that we can see that. Um, we get to spend a lot of time with our patients versus in a doctor's office where it's five minutes, you're in and out. Our yeah. patients are usually here about two hours and we're with them the whole time. So I love that. The hardest thing for me is that I have to chase down payments from the sponsors. Uh -huh. They don't like to pay on time. I don't know why that is, but I feel like that's industry wide. When I speak to other sites, they have the same problems. Yeah. Um, and I don't like dealing with um, employee problems. I don't, that's difficult for me because we are a small business and you get to know everybody so well. It's hard when you have a problem with an employee that you have to discipline um, or sometimes terminate employees. For me, that's the hardest part of the job. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, um, I guess nobody likes either side, sides of that. Chasing payment for, for me is the, the one that I, I just hate. It's, it's like right. we've got contracts in place. You know, it's, you just don't expect it. Certainly from, you know, large players in, in the, the pharmaceuticals industry or the engineering industry, which is the other side of things that we cover. Um, and it's just just frustrating. If, if you come in and, and you've got to do that, it puts you know your whole, whole day off, I, I find. Right, um, it does. So look, uh, I guess coming coming forward, we've we've hit 2020 now, and there's a whole lot load of things going on um, in the world of of pharma, biotech, um, research in in general. And it's been great because it's really advertised, you know, the world of of clinical trials. Um, you know, so many people that weren't aware of it previously are now getting insights as to, to what goes on behind the scenes, but paint the picture for our listeners of, of how things 
have changed for, for you guys at, um, at Eclipse? So for us, we had, when COVID first started, we had statewide shutdowns and we weren't affected because we were an essential service. However, the pharmaceutical companies put holds on our studies. So we had that, that we had to, that obstacle we had to overcome. And then we had to make a jump from paper records to electronic. Uh -huh. And that was so that the study monitoring could be done remotely because it wasn't safe. And to some extent still isn't safe to have study monitors on site like they used to be. Um, they travel from all different parts of the country, going through airports and on planes and bringing them into the, our study site where we deal with sick, vulnerable patients that have a good chance of COVID killing them. Um, we had to put safeguards in. And mm -hmm. one of those safeguards was limiting site access to only employees and patients. Wow. Um, we will allow a caregiver if it is a necessity, but other than that, we're very strict. We've had to put in, of course, like anybody else, in, increased cleaning procedures, sanitation. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're a medical business, so we've always sanitized and cleaned, but there's another step to it now. We've had to taper our visits so that we don't have too many patients in the office at one time and nobody's sitting in the waiting room um, waiting. Mm. So there's been a big change in just the day-to-day -day operations that we've seen. So that must have, I guess, impacted on the, because what I get from you guys is the, the family business feel. I, I love that, you know, the fact that it, the idea was planted by your, your partner, you ran with it, you, you've now run in it with that family feel to it and, and patients come in and they, they really experience that. It's not uh, they're another number and it's a, a tick in the box they're in and out within five minutes so how has this whole new regime with the increased um levels of, of red tape that you have to go through how has that impacted on, on that personal level of service and i guess experience that you've been providing to your to your patients and, and customers alike so it's hard for our staff and our patients Mm. Um, for our patients, we don't get that one-on-one -on -one time where we can just sit with them and let them talk. Um, a lot of our patients are retired. They, um, are elderly and to them coming here is almost like a social visit. Yes. So yes, they're participating in the study and yes, you know, they're having blood drawn and EKGs and getting medications and things like that, but they also have that social aspect where our study coordinators will sit and talk to them about their week or you know they'll talk about their family and their grandchildren and things like that where mm. we can't sit with them anymore like that because it's not considered safe to just sit one-on-one -on -one in close quarters and chit chat yeah um so to them that's a change that is not so great but on the other hand, that they see that we're doing that for safety and to keep them healthy. And they see that they're no longer sitting in the waiting room um, and there's not other people around them. And so they feel safe that they can come here and not worry that somebody's gonna transmit COVID to them. I see. Um, well, and 
I, I should probably rephrase that because there's always a concern, no matter where you are, no matter how safe we are, but it takes some of that concern away. Sure. Um, on the staff aspect, we used to all sit around and have lunch together every day. Once a week, we would go out, take a little longer lunch and just sit and relax and take a break. And we're no longer able to do that. So it's hard for them as well. Mm. So look, I guess that covers just some of the challenges um, that you've faced, but I know that despite all of that, you guys have, have held pretty strong. And as far as I understand, you had no real, real issues with, with furlough or having to lay people off or with working from home and adapting, et cetera. Um, so how, how, how have you guys managed, managed that where so many others have kind of, it's been, it's been a nightmare for them. You know, there's people that have either lost jobs, had to change jobs, had reduced hours, haven't worked, um, been able to work properly at home. How, how did you guys manage to crack that one? Because it seems that you, you've done, done that really well. And as far as I'm aware, the future for you guys at Eclipse is looking very promising coming into 2021, right? It is. So we've been very lucky. Um, during that time when the enrollment holds were in place, um, March, April, even into May a little bit, um, we went down to working two days a week. We were able to see our current patients, but not put any new patients on trials. Mm. So that was difficult. We just, we, we could work full time, but there was no need to. So we were lucky that we were able to get a payroll protection loan from the federal government and keep everybody employed at their full-time salaries and keep them with their benefits. Mm. Um, that pushed us through. We did have a little bit of savings and you always try as a business owner to save for hard times, but something like COVID is something you just can't anticipate. You cannot, as a small business, have enough in savings to do that type of impact. So we were lucky that we were able to pull that loan through and that we were able to get, keep everyone employed. That was my biggest thing throughout this was to keep everybody with a paycheck. Mm. Um, we've been able to start our studies back up. We did lose a couple of studies that decided they were no longer going to go forward, that, that we're going to focus on other things. Um, but overall, we've been lucky. We are working on a COVID antibody study to get a rapid testing device approved and on the market, which wow. is nice. Wow. And we're hoping to start a vaccine trial in January. Um, we're on the short list for that. We're working on contracts, so we're hopeful there. And yeah. we are actually looking to expand in 2021 and we're moving into a new location and hopefully we'll be able to pick up more staff and more trials. Amazing. So from all those years ago when your investor pulled out and kind of left you high and dry to an extent, so a couple of weeks later, it, it, it kicking off and, and things starting to go well to, to now where you've been able to weather the, the storm as a, a small, agile and, and, and dynamic business who's been able to adapt and pivot really quickly to, to make sure that you've uh, been able to negotiate your way through all of these challenges that have been thrown at you effectively um, to now where you're in a position where the, the new uh, premises that you're getting, I understand that they're, they're bigger than what you're currently in. Um, so they you're are. About to, uh, expand. You're, you're looking at new studies uh, and trials. Um, so the future really is looking very bright for you guys, right? 
It is. It's looking that way. You know, on a day-to-day basis, when you look at it, and we've had some pretty major IT issues, as we talked about before, when we talked before. Haven't haven't Um, we all? (laughs) Yeah. IT. When you're dealing with the IT issues and not just the cost of fixing the problem, but the lost production and the lost revenue because Mm. of the IT problems, and you're looking at COVID and the holds and the increased costs that we have from COVID, um, medical supplies have the cost has skyrocketed because they're such in high demand. We've had trouble getting PPE, um, just like everybody else out there, gloves and masks. We've had trouble securing. And when we go back to a lot of the sponsors and say, look, it costs our expenses more. We need to charge you more. They say, well, that's not what we contracted. So dealing with all of those on a day-to-day basis, sometimes it feels overwhelming. But when you look at the big picture and look at the fact that, you know, you can get these computer problems fixed, you eventually, hopefully, will get that PPE and you have more studies starting. Um, We just have ventured into pediatrics and hired a pediatrician for the first time. So you look at that and look at the year overall versus the day-to-day challenges. And it's a good feeling that in this industry and in this time, we're able to grow when so many around us, unfortunately, aren't. Mm. And I think in a way, and I don't want to misconstrue how I say this, to the clinical trial industry, COVID has been a blessing in disguise, not that people are sick. And so, so don't get me wrong. It, it's a horrible, yeah. horrible thing. And I wish it had never happened, but it's bringing attention to the world of clinical trials in the news and on a grand scale where they're talking about treatment trials and vaccine trials. And so the general public are starting to understand the importance of trials in COVID, but also for other indications. And they're more willing than ever to participate and to help. And so I think that that in itself is a blessing. Unfortunately, it had to come through a pandemic but going forward, I think clinical trials are not going to be that guinea pig kind of atmosphere that people used to think. Mm. And they're going to realize what we really do and how important they really are. 100% agree with, with, with that. And I think that, yes, it's a terrible situation that we're, that we're all facing. But if there is any good to come out of it, it is the, the positive publicity for the, the world of clinical trials uh, yeah. you, know, you and I may not even be speaking today if you know COVID hadn't hit because our network you know both people looking for, for work and clients have all been screaming out for just more information of, of what's going on with the, the big players what's going on with smaller more entrepreneurial companies uh, hence the podcast to kind of share these insights into the world of clinical trials um, and you've nailed it with the whole stigma of you know, it's a guinea pig industry. Um, you exactly. know, even this morning here in in the UK, there was a, an interview with uh, one of the first guys to have the the Moderna um, jab, and it was almost like he was getting spoken to by the producers of, of the television station, like he was a, a celebrity. And it's kind of exactly. like it's it's completely opened that up to you know people saying oh okay you know why wouldn't I get in trials you know if I can help I will and it's it's taken away that that huge stigma of 
oh, I don't know if I should get involved in that. You, you used as a guinea pig. And, and it's actually people coming together to give back and, and you know, fight for the greater good as it may be. Exactly. And I don't think people realize that it's always been like that. There's been that stigma that if you're in a clinical trial, you're a guinea pig, but that's not true. Um, to the drug companies, yes, you're a number and you're a statistic. But to us, when you're in this office, first of all, you're a volunteer and we couldn't do this job without volunteers. We couldn't get new medications, potentially life-saving medications without people that are willing to volunteer to participate. And we know that and we value that. And another thing is that through the testing that we do, we have found diseases that people don't know they have. And we've been able to say, you know, look, this is what's happening. This is what we've seen. And you need to go to your doctor and you need to follow up. Mm. And so more than just them feeling like, a guinea pig is that they get good quality health care. They may not get the medication, they may get a placebo, but the health care and that one-on-one -on -one that they get is very important. Yeah. And no, I think that they're learning that. 100%, 100% on that. Um, well, look, I, I guess I think that's that kind of covers what everyone on a global scale has almost learned about clinical trials um, to an extent over the past six months. Um, we've heard about how you guys at Eclipse have, have pivoted and, and reacted to, to things. Um, what about yourself, you know, in a personal sense, um, Felice, you know, what have you learned about yourself in, in the past six months? For me, there's been a, a ton of things. One has been my ability to <laughs> uh, take on new technologies and in, innovation, uh, which I was terrible at previously. Um, but what, what is it uh, for, for yourself? I think for me, the most important part is that I, um, I have to adapt. So I pushed back, for example, on going to electronic source documentation for a while. We'd been talking about it and I kept pushing and pushing and pushing. Um, I'm not ready, you know, technology's not perfect. Computers crash, the internet goes out. Um, what do we do if there's no internet? How do we see patients? Mm. So it's made me take that leap. It's made me adapt and realize that it's not as bad as it seems to be. It sounds um, like I'm listening it, to a recording of myself here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's tough. Um, it's made me push my staff um, to adapt. Mm. Uh, we have somebody working from home now, which is something we haven't had before. Um, but her job can be done 100% remotely. And so she is. So I think out of everything, it's that ability with COVID that you have to adapt. You have to, you know, sometimes even though everything's falling apart, you have to come in and smile and pretend like everything's great. Um, but I've also learned that, you know, my employees can sometimes see through that and it's okay to show them that I'm vulnerable too that, you know, we have to lean on each other. And sometimes even though I'm the one that they come to, sometimes I also need someone to be able to lean on and go to. Um, mm. And I've learned that I have to delegate. This is um, something that we touched on when we, when we spoke previously, wasn't it? That thing of, as a business owner, you do sometimes feel that even though it's your employee's responsibility to, to get stuff done sometimes, you take that responsibility on, your, on yourself and it, right. it, everything weighs on, on your shoulders. And I think that you and I were both in agreement on that, that that is sometimes 
a, a daunting task because you know some nights I, I'm up, I can't sleep because I'm I'm thinking about what my team need to be doing and I'm I'm thinking it through. I'm like, no, no. Sometimes you just need to relax and let them get on with it and just almost letting go of that and that the whole remote working side of things has, has brought that to me and it's it's been a bit of blessing for for me really. I've I've loved that side of it. You know, I get to see my partner, my my son on a regular basis. You know, all whilst still being probably more productive than what what we were previously yes that that's been important to me and one of the things that was important when I started this business was that I was able to be with my children um I made it a point that I did not miss events I scheduled around um my son was in band he he was in marching band he had competitions um my daughter was in there for a while and then she moved to choir. And so to me, it was important to be at competitions, to be at mm. events, to um, if they had something at school or extracurricular to, well, to schedule around that. I try to do that for my staff as well. Um, as long as the work gets done, you know, if they need to go to do something with their children or need to leave earlier, come in late, as long as the patients are seen and the work is done and they're not taking advantage of it, mm. then I'm flexible with that. And I think that it helps with the morale in the office. And I think that if you do that with your staff and you're more willing to do things for them, then when it comes times like this where it's tough and we're all stressed out, they are willing to do more for the company because you, sh you show them that they're not just an employee, you really do care about them. Um, and it, it does I've, I've lead- I've, yeah. I've done that hugely at our end. You know, we, we've, we're now going almost completely remote as, as a business where all of our consultants will work from home. But so far, the, the buy-in from them has been massive. And it's just gone to show that, you know, by giving trust uh, and empowering your employees, you get a heck of a lot more back than if you're standing over them with, with a stick. Um, not not that I've ever ever you know been one for that anyway, but it's just it's amazing um, that letting them run their own day rather than having a day mapped out for them is is just so much more productive. Pick up your kids if you want to go and you know run some errands if you if you want to go out with your partner, but get the work done. And, and if that that works, the business works, and that's kind of where I sit on it as, as a as a business owner. It sounds like you're exactly the same these days. Exactly. I mean, like you said, there's many, many sleepless nights um, worrying about the business and worrying about your employees. They they do become family. And if the business fails, it's not just you that suffers. It's them and their um, families as well. We also tend to, um, if the business is doing well, then the employees do well. So if we are profiting, then they get bonuses. Um, oh, nice. So we share with them. Mm. Um, obviously, we cannot give them bonuses based on recruitment. Um, we're not allowed to do that with the ethics boards, but just overall company profits. If the company's doing well, we have certain goals that we meet and then they get bonuses. And so they're doing better too. So they have a stake in the company succeeding. Oh, that's, that's amazing. Again, it's, it kind of follows my business model of, yeah, if the, if the company's doing well, they should be rewarded. And it, it just, it builds that, that team, that family, um, orientation and it's just it sounds amazing as to you know how you guys have progressed over the years where you're going 2021 as I say looks set to be great for you guys with yeah more trials you know new premises 
um, and just bigger and better things for for you. Um, we're so very excited for what 2021 has to hold and we just want to get through this so just like everybody else get through this hard COVID time and push forward. Most definitely. Well, uh, um, before I, I wrap things up, I always like to, to hear, you know, it's, it's great to hear about people in, in, in the business world and, and what they've done and you've done personally some amazing things and they're continuing to do so. Um, but look, sometimes, you know, I, I like to hear what people are interested in outside of work as, as well as I touched on earlier. For me, it's it's always been been sports. I'm a massive um, sportsman. Um, but look, for, for yourself, if you weren't necessarily running Eclipse, if you hadn't gotten into um, medicine, is there another route that you would have perhaps gone down? Or what do you like, or what are your interests outside of, of the world of research? Because it's it's a long day sometimes in research, isn't it? So what, what do you do to relax day. as well? <laughs> it's very long, especially lately with our computer problems. It, it's been longer. But um, I, I always wanted to be in med medicine. Um, I, I've thought about going back to school even and becoming a nurse practitioner. Really? Um, but I'm so busy right now that that's just not possible. But maybe we'll see in the future. Um, but outside of work, I love to travel. Um, traveling is just, I, I would travel the world, maybe write blogs um, about my experiences, mm. but um, definitely traveling. I love to hike. Uh, I love to be on the water. My husband and I are scuba divers, so we're always looking for nice warm places to, warm water places to dive. Nice. Um, and my family is above and beyond. Uh, my children, my husband and extended family are above and beyond the first thing in my life. So everything revolves around them, in, including the business. Um, so to me, it, it's, you know, spending time with family, going places, exploring the world. Um, I had four exchange students from Europe when my kids were teenagers. And they taught me, before I met them, it was my little portion of the world. And so they taught me about different places mm. in Europe. And since then just experiencing the rest of the world has been just a big thing to me different cultures and um learning how they live and what they do amazing well it sounds like your your home life and, and work life kind of intermingle and it's it's that whole they definitely do. family orientation and that's what your patients gets um is, is that feel as well so that's probably why as a business you're you're You've, you've done so well and you're going to continue to do so well because you're bringing that personal element to, to everything that you do uh, with that driven background as well. So look, Felice, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Um, do keep us updated with, with what happens uh, on your, your travels and uh, the business uh, triumphs heading into 2021. But thanks again uh, for joining us on the Huxley Morton podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. Great stuff.